0: I don't believe in a future where it's about recreating technical alternatives for the third-party cookie. Consumers don't expect to end up in numerous identity graphs of ad tech companies they have never heard of. So let's not go into that direction but focus really on the ones that have that first-party relation with the consumer. <music> Hello everyone
1: and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that spotlights the incredible leaders in the media industry who are shaping the future of data-driven advertising. I'm your host Ben Cicchetti and this week I had the opportunity to sit down with Tone Kopins, Director of Advertising Data and Identity at DPG Media. Together Tone and I discussed the media landscape in Belgium and the Netherlands, the ongoing deprecation of third-party cookies, the rise of first-party data, the hot topic of retail media and much much more. Before we jump into that conversation, this is your reminder to hit that subscribe button so that way you'll always be the first to know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects drop. But without any further delay, here's my conversation with Tone. Hi Tone, welcome to the podcast. Hi Ben, thanks for uh, having me. No, I'm super excited for this conversation and I think we have a ton to cover off. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know you and may not be familiar with you, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself and to DPG Media?
0: Yep, for sure. So I'm uh, Tom Coppens, 45. I'm uh, Belgian. I work at DPG Media six years now. I'm responsible for uh, data, identity, and artificial intelligence for the uh, advert par- advertising part of uh, DPG Media, both for Belgium and uh, the Netherlands. I'm actually an uh, electrical engineer from education. Um, went through Alcatel, Alcatel Lucent, the telecom world, into then more and more the marketing and media world. And so now, since six years, um, working at uh, a DPG uh, media. And DPG media, for the people not knowing it, it's the largest media company both in uh, the Netherlands and Belgium. We are also active in Denmark. Uh, we have a turnover of about 1.8 billion euro. It's a privately owned company. Uh, it has around six thousand employees, and we're active in what we call five different business lines. So we are active in uh, radio broadcasting in Netherlands and Belgium. We're active in uh, publishing news media, in uh, the three markets. We're active in uh, magazines. Uh, we do television broadcasting in the Belgian market and we also have a lot of what we call online services, which are more the kind of uh, comparison sites. Um, And in total, we have around 99.0 brands uh, across the three uh, markets, but that evolves a lot because there is a lot of uh, acquisition uh, made uh, uh, all the time.
1: Amazing. We've definitely got a lot to cover off then uh, because that all sounds super exciting, but we're gonna start the way that we always do, which is with a a few quick fire questions just to get to know you a little bit better. And we're going to start right at the beginning. So what is your earliest memory of advertising?
0: Well, actually, the first memory of advertising is the launch of commercial television uh, in Belgium, and it was actually in 1989. It was the first commercial uh, broadcaster, VTM, which uh, launched at that time. Previously, we only had the public television. So from then on, we had a second uh, channel from a commercial uh, station. And actually, uh, I was uh, nine years back then. And little did I know that actually today I would work for the company uh, owning VTM 35 years later. So we are now uh, celebrating 35 years commercial television in uh, the Belgian market. And so uh, VTM is one of the brands uh, which is inside the DPG Media family. That's amazing. That's a full circle kind of moment there then. Yeah, indeed. For sure. So I guess,
1: speaking of your career, what was then your first job in either advertising or marketing?
0: Yeah, on advertising solutions, it was, uh, I think, back in 2010, 2012, uh, working at Alcatel Lucent. So it was more known as a telecom company that uh, was going into uh, different kind of markets, applications. And uh, it was an advertising service uh, supporting SMS-based advertising, targeted advertising for Middle East and African markets. And so the concept was that uh, telecom providers could provide their consumers um, free SMS and, and uh, call uh, 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 well, reductions on the telecom bill if they would allow targeted SMSs to be sent. And so it was a kind of opt-in system. You as a consumer, for instance, in Egypt had to say, yes, I want to get uh, uh, targeted ads. And then based on your location and your interests, you would uh, get uh, targeted ads from uh, Adidas and so on uh, towards you. So it was a, a really t- target advertising services, but before any GDPR or like kind of uh, world uh, at that time.
1: Interesting. So, I guess if you look back at that time and knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself when you were just starting out in your career?
0: Huh, that's a, a good question. Um, uh, when I started working, I started at uh, Alcatel, and uh, that was the days of the first video on demand services, IPTV, digital television. And I've been working for six years on the digital TV platforms at Alcatel. Um, Afterwards, um, my advice would be today to uh, quicker uh, shift jobs and to get more kind of different flavors. You're young, you're coming into the market uh, and to have like different flavors from uh, yeah business development into technical jobs, into marketing and to have like, uh, yeah, more a feeling of like the, the, the full market Um and also move quicker into media. Actually today I'm now 10 years into media companies and it's really like the atmosphere in a media company where you have like the combinations of uh, uh, love brands together with like value chain transformations, uh, a lot of reach uh, available, etc. Just a very exciting kind of environment to work in.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And obviously you mentioned 10 years in the media industry. What is it that you love about what you do right now and the industry that you're in?
0: Yeah. um, On one side, uh, a domain which evolves very rapidly, like the ongoing digital transformation that's really big into media in the past first on everything which was publishing. But then afterwards, television, video, you see all the kind of new companies coming up and then all of a sudden you have subscription video on demand with Netflix and Disney, but then they also start launching ad-supported services. Vice versa, we have been provided free uh, TV services for years and now we started providing advertising video on demand services but now also we also have hybrid video on demand services where you start to pay for not getting ads and it's kind of this evolution uh, which is a mix of technology privacy new market entrance which really makes it like yeah really fun uh, to be in and on the other side and that's also important i uh, it always needs a kind of uh a, d'être, a reason to be in the market and for us is that uh, yeah, everything what we do, even on targeted advertising, you know that you're supporting this, that you're setting up all these targeted advertising solutions because at the end this is um, sponsoring, this is supporting qualitative journalism. Um, it's thanks to advertising that all people get access for free to qualitative uh, journalism and this is important because if that's not there anymore, yeah, then you end up with uh, fake news, hate speech. Uh, you see what's happening in uh, a lot of uh, countries in the world. And then, you know, it's so important to have independent quality journalism. And thanks to advertising, this is something that uh, can thrive and uh, still exists. So therefore, it's really important to continue uh, innovating on targeted advertising, finding solutions to yeah, make sure that ads can support actually this uh, the whole domain of, uh, of journalism.
1: Yeah, it's so important to have something both obviously that you're good at, uh, something you love, but also something with purpose. Um, Yeah, I think you've really (laughs) summed it up really nicely there. So one of the things that we're obsessed with within the advertising industry is the concept of identity, meaning the ability to identify individuals across devices, across platforms and so on and so forth. But how would you explain quite a technical term to a 10 year old?
0: Good question. Uh, I'm not having 10 year olds anymore. I am having kids of 17 and 19 years old. So uh, they're all into this uh, space already for years and they understand very well like the exchange which is there for getting free content in exchange for. But uh, if you um, have to explain it, I wouldn't focus on the identity part, but I would focus really on the relevance um, and make the analogy with the real world. I think. If in the real world, you're entering a shop for the third time buying, I don't know, candies in a candy store. Then after the third or the fourth time, it seems like very logic that you're being greeted, maybe suggested some uh, new kind of flavors. uh, Maybe you get some discount suggestions and all these kind of things. And it's happening in the real world. And everybody finds that very natural and normal. And I think that's also that relevance is something that we also want to bring online. Uh, because you also want to bring that same relevance over there. And therefore, we would like to be able to identify you, to know that, ah, this is the third or the fourth time you came in, uh, but without being creepy, because that's the other angle. I think what we have been doing maybe the last 15 years in online advertising is that it became creepy, because if you after you went into the candy store, you went into the shop next to it, you're not expecting that shop to know what you have recently bought at the candy store. Mm-hmm. You also don't expect them to know you if it's the first time you're entering that shop. And so if you take that analogy of the real world and we always internally at DPG Media say like, let's, start, let's try to explain it to your mom. And if you can explain it to your mom and it sounds like natural, then we are going doing the right stuff. If it sounds creepy, yeah, we should just forget about it. That's kind of the analogy that we try to take uh, internally.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that kind of a creepy barometer as to um, how appropriate it is. But also it's bringing it back to real world and the kind of the consumer, which should be at the heart of everything we do, really. Indeed. So what keeps you awake at night?
0: Well, recently, actually, for the last two years, um, something I never would have expected, but um, we have a a data management uh, solution, uh, DPG Media Data Lab, which is uh, created uh, for both Belgian and 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 Dutch markets, which which advertisers can create their own uh, bespoke audiences and so on. And the front end of this uh, platform is uh, created in Kiev, in the Ukraine, so by a partner company of us. And so we have been working with those people over there for, meanwhile, I think like more than three years uh, in total on different projects. And in the last two years, yeah, these people, they are going through, yeah, really horrendous times. Uh, We have had calls with them while they had an air raid alarm on on the background and all these kind of things. People had to flee their homes, had to go into other areas of Europe. And so it's really like certainly in the first week we had calls with them one day before then the Russians entered, it was like no no nothing is going to happen, and the next day it can all shift in a split second. The next day it was like what's happening here? There we hadn't con- we didn't have any contact in like two weeks, and then afterwards now now again they are working for us full time, um, and we have a lot of respect for what those guys are doing. And so at the end we hope that they all keep. Uh, Uh, well, that it can end very soon for them and that they can uh, get back to their normal lives, uh, actually.
1: Yeah, it kind of puts everything into context uh, and perspective when you're you're dealing with that, I can imagine. So what inspires you?
0: A lot of things. I'm an engineer from (laughs) education, so I'm very (laughs) open also in tech kind of things. Uh, But I would say on a a personal level, um, what endurance endurance athletes can do, it's really like so inspiring people that do this long distance running, etc. It's really like, okay, it inspires me to also try to uh, get sportive and uh, do this kind of thing. On the professional level, um, we have a lot of interactions with the uh, European Publisher Council, a lot of interactions with other publishers in Europe. And one of the things that inspires me is what's happening in the France and UK markets on uh, retail media. And like the uh, kind of corporations happening over there between media companies and uh, retailers. Um, Also where Infosum is uh, supporting uh, the likes of uh, Channel 4 and uh, ITV uh, with some great uh, things happening there. It's not yet happening in the Belgian and Dutch market. Um, And so that's something that for now is an inspiration because we would like to replicate this as soon as possible. Also in in our local markets, Belgium and Netherlands. Yeah,
1: I think you very effectively tease some of the content that we're going to uh, we're going to dive into a little bit later yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but before we kind of dive into some of the deeper topics that we're going to cover off, uh, can you give our listeners who may not be as familiar with the industry's landscape in the Netherlands and Belgium? Can you just give us a bit of an update on the status quo in the industry in general and how well prepared the industry is for the cookieless future? Yep,
0: yeah, for sure. I think it's um, of course working in. Uh three markets but concentrating on two Belgium and the Netherlands we have a little bit and the DPG media is a little bit different in the both markets in Belgium we have a lot of focus on television radio broadcasting video on demand connected tv etc for which i would say the full evolution into cookieless has been less impactful um, while in the Netherlands where we are primarily a publisher uh, a very big publisher of course there is a much more impact and that's also something that we see um, like a difference in both markets. We see in the Netherlands, like a little bit more kind of emphasis already today, a little bit more focus um, on cookie and everything happening there. In Belgium, it's, it's somewhat uh, slower. Now, in both markets, and that's a little bit different than the rest of uh, Europe or the bigger countries like uh, France, UK, etc., there already has been a, a lot of consolidation on the media side, meaning that there are Uh, a smaller number of very large media companies Um, and so like dpg media and so we have a lot of um, concentration in the in the sales house for instance on broadcasting and publishing on the belgian market. but also in uh, the netherlands we have somewhat more separation between broadcasting only um, uh, sales houses and publishing uh, sales houses But where we see that, for instance, in the Netherlands, DPG Media has the same kind of reach than Google and Facebook on a weekly and monthly basis. So we're really at the same kind of magnitude playing, meaning that in both markets, we but also some other players are less dependent on open market. There is a lot of uh, direct business ongoing, a lot of deal based business ongoing. And so our dependencies on open market is uh, diminishing and was already quite limited um which helps us also to make a more kind of aggressive approach into these environments where we are also well uh, putting some of our um, of our uh, platforms behind more kind of a, a walled garden approach similar to like, Google or Facebook or whatsoever, also uh, launching our own ad manager solution and so on. So it's different compared to like bigger markets where there is a lot of fragmentation and where open market uh, is key. So that makes our markets a little bit different compared to the, the rest of Europe.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think one of the things obviously we've seen happen as the cookie has fallen is that first party data has risen. So, how do you see DPG Media positioned in the market, specifically in terms of that first-party data era, compared to others in the industry globally and also regionally?
0: Yeah, well, that's um, something that's for us very important. Uh, first-party data—we have a program in place already for years, d- concentrating on gathering zero or first-party data, whatever that you wanna wanna call it—in uh, both markets. Um, we know that in both markets, we are number one media company. Um, but on the digital side, yeah, 70% of uh, the market share goes to the global tech companies. And so only 30% goes to uh, local media, right? like in uh, a lot of uh, other uh, markets. But other than 30%, uh, a large part is taken by us by concentrating very heavily on this first-party data uh, approach. And what we have done now since, I think, somewhat more than two years, meanwhile, is we uh, something what we call uh, launching the trusted web. So DPG Media launched our own trusted web proposition, And it's an environment where we say to advertisers, look, we have a trusted web with a lot of reach, 90 brands. Um, So a lot of people coming in first. Secondly, all of this content is professional created content, 100% brand safe content. Um, So no hate speech, fake news whatsoever on it. So the second thing. Thirdly, it has 100% addressable inventory. Because everything there, of course, uh, taking into account consent. So it's not 100%, a little bit less mm-hmm. for the people that give consent. But all consumers are addressable in onto our platforms, whether it's uh, them using uh, Firefox or Safari or whatsoever. It's not important because we have first-party identifiers to identify them across the whole uh, DPG media uh, part. So they keep on being addressable. We have the data from all of these brands being connected together so in belgium we have 30 brands in the netherlands about 60 brands and we ask consent on a group level creating profiles with all behavioral declared intense data uh, geolocation data which is coupled together into profiles and reaching those profiles continuously and then allowing actually advertisers to um yeah make their own audiences based on all these profile data that we have available. Because that's the last thing uh, that we did is we launched a lot of own platforms, own tools, self-service tools for uh, advertisers. Um, Because in the past, we had reach, we had data, we had brand safety, we have a lot of uh, impactful uh, uh, advertising formats. But yeah, they had to go to uh, third-party tools to buy it. And so we also launched our own tools. We have an ad manager tool, which is for agencies and large advertisers to buy programmatically uh, our uh, inventory on video and display. We have a direct product, which is for the long tail, small, and medium uh, advertisers that want to buy directly uh, onto our platforms. And we have a data lab product. And a data lab product is to create your own audiences based on all our first party data available. Um, and uh, so that's something that we already launched uh, two years ago. And what's inside? Well, all these data, which is available on our uh, on our two markets. In Belgium, since historically this broadcaster uh, AVOT platform is there, for which you had to log in, create an account, leave some data, age, gender, uh, postal code, these kind of things. We have a lot of qualitative declared data from a lot of... Uh, locked in user base from millions of uh, users uh, on the Belgian market. We have the same on this, uh, we have a, the uh, one platform on the Flemish-speaking site, VTM Go. The same on the French-speaking site, RTL Play. Both platforms with a lot of uh, locked in base. So That's on one side. If you look to the Netherlands, we have uh, more than 60 brands over there um, from a very broad range of um, industries. So we are active in uh, automotive uh, comparison uh, sites, we are uh, having job uh, sites, we have financial services sites, we are uh, having services that are into uh, retail uh, services, into fashion. Um, we have specific uh, magazines for women, for uh, sports. So you see a lot of kind of sectors uh, are supported there. And we bring all this data together. And all these data, we have yeah, the traditional approach. You can create, you can just buy in rate card segments. We have uh, like 300 rate card segments that are composed like fashion lovers and sports lovers and 1835 uh, energy intenders, whatever, all these kind of things. But then, with that data lab platform, we also now allow them to create their own audience. Like, I want to do 18, 26 people around uh, the region of Amsterdam that have an uh, interest in playing hockey, and/or uh, are interested in uh, Tesla and Polestar. Well, you can create such an audience in our own uh, data lab uh, platform. And then, importantly. We allow uh, advertisers also to bring in their own data. And so that's also where InfoSIM, of course, comes into play. We have a, a two-fold approach. One side working with data clean rooms, InfoSIM being the most important one, both in uh, Belgium and Netherlands. And on the other side, we also support uh, advertisers, more smaller advertisers that connect their data directly onto their Data Lab, on our Data lab platform, similar to the, the Facebook uh, CRM onboarding uh, API.
1: Wow, it's a, it's a lot and it sounds like you have and DPG Media are very much ahead of the curve as far as kind of that preparation for the cookless future, that focus on first party data, that focus on high quality content and everything that goes along with it. But from your perspective and all that experience that you must have gained on that journey, what advice would you give to other companies that may not be quite as ready as you are for the cookless future? <laughs>
0: That's a good question. Well, it's of course different if you're speaking with like advertisers, agencies, or like uh, media companies and so on. Uh, the first thing I would I would say is don't wait. Don't wait till um, the cookies disappear, because cookieless is there today. It's it's not a cookieless future. It's a cookieless present. More than fifty percent of uh, people on open market are not addressable anymore. Um, And towards the future, all solutions which are appearing um, in the market, they won't have a reach that goes beyond 50% neither. So it's not that like the solution is going to pop up that will solve all your problems at the same time. Uh, Privacy sandbox, interesting solution, but it only works on Chrome. It doesn't work if you're using Chrome on iOS, for instance. It only works for users that are opted in on your privacy sandbox solution, et cetera. So of course we are looking at it and we also will be supporting uh, advertisers using privacy sandbox, but it's like not the holy grail that will solve everything. Neither are universal IDs, which are dependent on having often like uh, email or probabilistic kind of uh, other solutions. They will have limitations. Uh, there is also concerns about uh, informed consent. Do people understand when they're giving consent for all of this, et cetera? So don't wait. That's advice number one. Advice number two is go test and concentrate yourself on those companies that have a first party relationship with the consumer, um, which are yeah a lot of companies. Like it can be, um, of course, big tech with the world gardens, but it's media companies, it's retailers, it's teleco companies. The companies are a direct relationship with the consumer because at the end, they will have the ability to ask the right consent to consumers. They have that direct relation. They have a trusted relationship. They can't just do whatever with the data of the consumer uh, because they really have to work on that trust. So go and work with them directly uh, because then you're on the safe side. Um, Invest in the first-party data for yourself, for your own. If you don't have it yet uh, in order, you just should be working on it uh, very soon because all the results that we are seeing from using first-party data are um, so much better than using third-party data. We see very good results if uh, an, an advertiser connects their first-party data with our first-party data to then target those users or exempt those users or target lookalikes, we see results of three, four times better than socio-demo targeting or other targeting. So the results are there. So invest in your own first-party data. And for some advertisers and media companies, a contextual strategy, sometimes forgotten, but a contextual strategy, does make sense if you're a company more investing in purely into a media company into b2b or a very niche kind of company you can consider going more into more into the contextual space and vice versa also if you're selling very like yeah, very specific niche kind of products contextual does make sense and the total return on investment can be higher than uh, what you would expect, uh, because you don't have to face all this complexity, I would say, around uh, consent and first-party data and and, and so on.
1: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think, you know, don't wait, test and learn, first-party data, contextual. It's really good advice um, for for anyone out there. And I think what's exciting, and you kind of alluded to it there, is when first-party data not just becomes the, the approach people have to take, it's the approach that actually delivers the highest performance and the best performance for those organizations. And that's when it gets super exciting from my perspective. Yep, for sure. So it does feel like we are finally close to the end of third-party cookies. Um, in your opinion, who's re- responsible then for rebuilding the foundation, if you like, of the digital advertising industry for a better future for all? And how kind of can we get to that?
0: Yeah, I think uh, there it's a little bit like I said in the in the last response. I'm really uh, seeing us evolving towards a first party data world, in which you will have like yeah a lot of a proliferation of kind of smaller world gardens, be it tech companies, media companies, uh, retailers, telcos, and all these kind of things, where advertisers easily should be able to connect their data into all these uh, different walled gardens. And at the same time, you also want to have interoperability between those walled gardens and have some data sharing being possible if with the right consent and the right data sharing agreements and all these kind of things, Um, because it's all about distrust. And so I don't believe in a future where it's about um, recreating technical alternatives for the third-party cookie um consumers don't expect to end up in numerous identity graphs of atech companies they have never heard of. So let's not go into that direction but focus really on to the ones that have that first party uh relation with um the consumer because at the end that will uh, that will stand and then you need data clean rooms for instance to connect these walled gardens together to connect between advertisers and the different uh, initiatives that are taken and so that's really important i also believe that data clean rooms with all which are also neutral and independent of being an at the same time, an ID provider or an identity graph provider, that that's crucial to connect also these walled gardens together. You don't want a company that at the same time connects your data with another company data, but also has their own kind of preference for upgrading ID graphs and so on. That's not what we want and what we like. And so therefore also everything around kind of uh, universal IDs, we're not using them. Um, we're not exposing universal IDs in bit requests. I think uh, last couple of weeks, we saw a lot of announcements of uh, data leakages with uh, IDs being exchanged in, uh, in in bit requests, DSPs decrypting them. And then all of a sudden, DSPs starting to bit onto inventory they should not be able to bit and so on. So, creepy things, and that's something we have to be uh, staying far away from, uh, to our opinion. What do you think,
1: then, it will take for the industry to completely move away from third-party cookies? I mean, is it just Google finally deprecating it in Chrome? What's it going to take for the industry to kind of fully move away?
0: Uh, That's uh, the big question, of course, eh? and I think... uh, People working in in this industry have had this question for already a couple of years, and uh, we saw the the delays and the delays coming. Um, I think, of course, it's logical in an industry that has been working for 15 years in a certain way that there has been a lot of inertia uh, in that industry and that everybody likes to keep it like it has been working in the last years. However, people do not realize that today it already doesn't work anymore for more than 50% of the inventory. Uh, we see that uh, people on Android are being targeted much more than iOS because they are not targetable anymore and so on. But as long as there is still something working for some people, apparently it's still OK for people to continue doing like they have been working in, in the past. So. Um, so that's a difficult one. I think also a lot of focus has been on more kind of targeting aspect and the alternatives there. While at the same time, there are also some kind of things which are yeah, fundamentals like um, frequency capping, which is still lagging behind with third-party cookie alternatives. Um, and that's a challenge. And because I think also there you can explain more easily to a consumer, well, we just want to provide you a better user experience uh, we don't want to bother you 20 times with the same ad. That's clearly different than saying, "Well, we are going to make a profile from your whole internet usage and then starting retargeting you across the whole world." That's two kind of differences. We should look at them. Um, and so you you notice that it's that's not easy. There is not a, a one size fits all uh, solution. So on one hand. We will see more use of these uh, wild gardens eh? and with their own buying platforms uh, like our ad manager approach and then using DCRs to connect their data and so on. So we really very much believe in that one. Um, If we look to the open market, um, the nature of broadcasting cookie data in combination with real-time bidding, it's just very challenging from a GDPR perspective mm-hmm. um, and that's something I think we all need to realize and all technical alternatives that are created lack scale and so, solve only for a fragmented uh, part of all of this and so that's yeah that's a, 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 a difficult one at the end uh, yeah, a lot of people are waiting for uh, what Google will do and Privacy Sandbox for sure will be there, but I said it won't be the solution neither for the whole market, knowing all the constraints which are now being uh, put on top of each other and consent and not on iOS and uh, using Chrome and so on and so on and so on. It's not the the solution that uh, everybody dreams of. So I think at the end, uh, coming back to what I said previously, the realization by a lot of people that those Retargeting the whole internet times are not coming back because that's just not GDPR compliant. So that you better concentrate on, yeah, on one side, connecting directly with World Gardens from international and local uh, companies, making sure that you can connect your data into these World Gardens, and at the same time keeping your eyes open for contextual solutions and privacy sandbox solutions and maybe some other ones, but all of them will have a limited scale um, at the end of the day. And yeah, I would be wary of using uh, solutions that uh, seem too good to be true because it's, it seems too, be good, too good to be true from a GDPR perspective. Often you won't be able to explain it to your mom and then we are back into <laughs> the beginning of our talk, uh,
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And to your point, you know, inertia is a powerful driver in business. And it can be difficult to kind of take people on that journey. But you know, to your answer a little bit earlier on, it's that don't wait, test and learn invest in your first party data and other kind of advertising solutions is just such important advice yep. for kind of everyone who's listening. So one of the topics that we've seen uh, dominate the headlines in 2023 has been retail media. And that's been a topic across the globe um, that everyone is discussing. So what's been DPG's approach to retail media in
0: 2023?
1: And how do you see that space evolving in 2024?
0: Good question, um, well, an important area. Uh, like I said in the beginning, uh, Belgium and Netherlands are um, a little bit behind on the retail media, I would say. Um, not on the retail media inside retailers' own environment, I would say. But if you more look into things like audience extension or media companies uh, selling retail data, we are somewhat behind on what's happening in the other markets. Also, to some extent, probably due to the fact that, like on the media side, there is not too much fragmentation. There is a lot of consolidation happened. We also have very large retailers where a limited number of large retailers where also a lot of consolidation happened. So it's a play between big players in the market, which is also always a little bit more difficult to get uh, to get started. Um, and I, we see two compatible approaches. On one hand, we see uh, retailers, the sales house, there selling audience extensions um, with their retail data onto the media, typically for trading budgets uh, from CBG. We had a couple of campaigns running there in uh, the Belgian market uh, in last year, but to be honest. Um, yeah, we didn't see a good return on investment, a return on ad spend from the FMCG-CPG side because of also the fees being asked by N-media plus data plus platform usage. At the end of the day, yeah, the part which went into the media buying was too low to really make an impact for most of these FMCGs and CPGs. So maybe that's something market-specific. I don't know. I don't know the exact kind of uh, fees which are being asked in other markets. But uh, it feels like, yeah, the audience extension from retailers onto media, yeah, it's uh, it has been a a very limited uh, uptake there. The other thing, uh, media sales houses monetizing the retailer data themselves, uh, what you see with the Channel 4 together with uh, Sainsbury uh, or an ITV with a Tesco and boot. Very interesting approaches, something we're also uh, very eager on to explore. We have not yet been able to make a deal on that side, but we're uh, very much looking into it in in both markets because I think it's, uh, yeah, we sell in the Belgian market alone twenty thousand digital campaigns a year. If only five percent of those campaigns could be enriched with uh, retailer data, whether it's category buying data, family composition, life stage data, all these kind of things. A lot of our FMCG and CPG clients are asking about it. A lot of automotive companies are asking about this kind of data. So next to our own kind of um, uh, data points that we provide or the data that the advertiser can bring, there is certainly an appeal from our advertiser customers into retail data, but it also has to be at the right price, of course, because otherwise the return on spent just doesn't work out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been such an exciting topic this year in every conversation we've had, right? And as you say, it's that convergence of uh, retailers and media partners where they can provide that kind of unified solution that kind of allows you to reach your... It's kind of giving marketers what they've always asked for, right? Which is reaching the right customer at the right time with the right message, right? It kind of lets them hit that. that
0: And also make that uh, the sales uplift attribution, eh? closing the loop again. That's uh, very interesting. I've been doing that with a couple of uh, retailers and FNCGs uh, already. Of course, it's, uh, today it lacks still a little bit of scalability and automation there. So it's something uh, to invest in uh, for the future, but uh, certainly uh, very promising uh, towards uh, next years. So something I hope in twenty four we will also see much more happening in our boat markets. Yeah,
1: I mean, you've, you've touched on the future and what we've got kind of ahead of us. What are some of the things that excite you about where the industry is going and where we're all headed together?
0: Yeah. A little bit broader maybe than uh, the pure identity part, but if I look to digital advertising um, and also my uh, well, what we see happening, personally, I'm having, uh, with this engineering background, everything what I see happening on uh, AI, generative AI is, uh, is very cool. Um, I'm also leading in a, a team of uh, machine learning engineers at DPG Media, so uh, we're doing a lot of um, uh, kind of tests uh, in this uh, in this area, and so we are, for instance, experimenting with uh, automated banner resizing uh, and creation um, with better than expected results. So auto cropping or out cropping of images and so on. Uh, because, for instance, in our platform ad manager, an advertiser can upload an image. Uh, we support uh, tens of different formats of images. Yeah, it's always difficult for an, uh, an advertiser to create all these different banners, all these different seamless formats that we provide, native formats. And so, therefore, we are now uh, working on this automated uh, creation and uh, of uh, these banners and so on with very promising results. Uh, and we see uh, a lot of these... Things also similarly in Google Performance Max, uh, Meta Advantage Plus, where a lot of Gen AI and AI features are, yeah, boosting, I would say, the the, the platforms. The big question, of course, is, yeah, um, how much is the industry ready to work with uh, all these black box AI uh, solutions? uh because at the end we as a dpg find it very important to have this good relationship with the agencies making sure also that an agency can provide value-added services on top of what they are selling on our platforms and so uh therefore yeah we m- very much more believe into supporting them with ai and gen ai rather than make it a pure black box uh kind of solution but very interesting environment uh, i would say uh which is now uh, uh unfolding uh
1: yeah, I mean, if it's been a second topic that's kind of dominated the headlines over the retail media this year, it's definitely been AI and kind of obviously the way it can improve uh, or um, complement performance and how kind of and creative and delivery and everything in between. But I also think it's interesting to think about the privacy implications, right? And how we manage, you know, you've spent a lot of time talking about privacy and how that fits into the D- DPG media world. Um, and I think it's important that we kind of consider the privacy implications of AI at the same time. Yep. No, for sure. So from your perspective, as you look, you know, we're coming up to the end of 2023. Uh, when you look at the future, what's your predictions for the future of data collaboration, but also, as I was just mentioning, for privacy? Um, and where do you see the industry being in five, 10 years time?
0: Oh, that's always- a, it's a big th- question. Th- <laughs> the big question, of course. Now I think, on a, so on the pro- uh, side of privacy, um, we hope that the uh, kind of debate in the industry goes back to like the spirit of GDPR because we believe GDPR is really something important and should be about, um, isn't your data being broadcasted? Isn't your data leaking across the whole industry and so on? And in the last couple of months, we saw five years after the start of GDPR, we saw GDPR going into a little bit the wrong direction, to my opinion. Like it's only about, do you ask consent in the right way? Aren't you using uh, dark patterns um, and, and so on? And that's, I would say, the full debate. After you have given consent, what happens then? If you then work with 300 vendors that um, enrich their ID graphs and do whatever what they have been doing in the last 20 years, which everybody knows, like, hmm, that's not something I like and you can't explain to your mom we don't talk anymore about it. And so it's the wrong kind of discussion. It all goes about how do you ask consent and is there a reject all button on the first screen, yes or no? And what is it leading to? What we are seeing across whole of Europe, you have an accept all or a reject all. And if you push the reject all button, just like Facebook now is doing, there is a pop-up, please pay. It's not only uh, Facebook, but also a lot of media companies in France, uh, Germany, Austria are using this approach. And at the end it's for a consumer it's about paying with your data or paying with money. Where well, I'm not sure if that's really the right thing you want to do under GDPR and so on. We should be more talking about okay should let's make the difference between first party data and asking first party data for optimizing the consumer experience on your site having relevant marketing relevant content relevant ads on your platform compared to like giving away to hundreds of third-party your first-party data that then becomes third-party data and all these kind of things. And that's, I hope, we are going back into really the spirit of GDPR, discussing about, yeah, explaining to your mom what is happening with your data. So that's a really important thing. And because at that time, I really believe that the only ones that can do something with data are the people that have that first-party relationship. And so that's how I see the prediction of... uh, uh going further, yeah, like I said, I see a proliferation of uh, wild gardens happening, a lot of smaller, bigger wild gardens where you need some interconnectivity with uh, neutral data clean rooms, hopefully also some data clean rooms that uh, are more and more interoperable, uh, where I know IAB TechLab also is working on these standards uh, with the support of the likes of InfoSum and so on, because that's really important. You want to have... Wild gardens, but you want to support connections with advertisers. But at the same time, you want to also support, if with the right consent and with the right data sharing agreement, some limited data transfers that you can explain to consumers, not to hundreds of third parties, but between advertiser one and media company one, if they have the right consent, yeah, this should be possible. So that's for me, like, yeah, something where we as an industry also should focus on. And hopefully, also that we have this. Uh, this privacy evolution going into the right direction and not having these wrong debates that we're seeing in the last uh, months popping up everywhere
1: yeah i agree it's interesting to think about uh, you know what privacy should mean to businesses and privacy shouldn't necessarily be just a box ticking exercise that you do what you need to do to kind of to get by it should be about one of the difference between putting consumers truly at the heart of everything you do um, and being truly consumer-centric, which it sounds like DPG Media has very much embraced that kind of customer-centric, consumer-centric perspective.
0: That's crucial indeed. That's, for us, a very important one uh, to go for. Yep.
1: Amazing. Well, before we finish things up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like us to cover? Anything we haven't touched on that you want to touch on?
0: Well, I think one domain uh, for us is a domain on which we are going to invest more uh, next year is everything on um, connected TV um so we have an important broadcast vod proposition with more and more first screen viewing but it's like a very fragmented kind of um, world and on one side we have smart tv apps we have our own uh, apps we have a website there is costing ongoing but we are also having um, of course still the telecom uh, companies owning the set box and on their platforms we also have things like addressable tv or our ad server delivering ads onto their set boxes and so on but so a lot of fragmentation um, it's there is no possibility today to measure region uh, and frequency uniquely between what we are on one side um, showing ads on our own platforms compared to what we show on the setter box and so on. While at the same time, it's the same campaign. It's often the same consumer who on one side is then consuming content via his uh, mobile phone. And the next moment is using a a setter box from a telco. And so that fragmentation is something we really want to uh, more and more tackle and, and work on in uh, twenty four uh, in the Belgium market uh, and so where we see a lot of evolutions also in the UK, in the US and so on but uh, we still have a lot of work to do over there uh, to tackle that fragmentation
1: So I mean you're not going to have a quiet 2024 then is what you're telling me, you've got a lot going on
0: <laughs> <laughs> For sure, that's, that's certainly the case
1: Amazing. Well, as you know, this podcast is all about uh, meeting and in, and uh, spotlighting pioneers in the media industry, such as yourself, who are kind of changing the way that we use data to deliver better customer experiences. So when you look at people you admire in your network or within the industry as a whole, who would you nominate for us to interview on an upcoming episode?
0: A uh, very uh, interesting question. Actually, I um, I look from a Belgian and Dutch perspective, and I'm looking south. I'm a big fan of what uh, Paul Ripar is doing. He's the commercial director for ATTECH and data at uh, Prisma Media, and previously also at TF1. At TF1. Um, their business is a little bit different than ours. It's a pure publishing magazine focused, a lot of open market, but they're doing uh, a lot of innovations over there. And so it's always inspiring to uh, have a talk with uh, with him. So I think uh, that's uh, for sure looking south. Interesting. If I look north, then um, uh, the name which uh, comes up is uh, Christel Lyons, uh which is uh, head of data at uh, Shipset. Also, ships that in the Nordics, they are somewhat similar to what DPG is doing in Belgium and Netherlands. Um, a lot of different brands, a lot of innovation, uh, and a lot of great work uh, by Christer and the team. So, uh, these certainly are two people that uh, do inspire me on a, on a daily basis uh, to come up with kind of new data and uh, and tech solutions. That's
1: fantastic! Both amazing uh, nominations, and we'll definitely be reaching out to them both to get them on the podcast. That'd be fantastic. Tone, thank you so much for being on Identity Architects, and thank you so much for dropping so much knowledge on us all, uh, and getting to know you and what DPG Media is doing a little bit better. And I just appreciate all the work that we do with DPG Media InfoSum. Uh, it's a fantastic relation. I just can't wait to see more and more come from it over the next year or two.
0: Thanks. Likewise, I indeed also believe that we're still on the like the starting point with everything we do on data clean rooms. Uh, we have already a history of like two and a half years working together and looking forward to uh, yeah getting more and more kind of interactions and going on the platform, both in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands. So uh, looking, uh, yeah, I said it's fully in line with uh, our strategy and the evolutions that we see in the market. So uh, looking forward to it.
1: Thanks again to Tone for joining us and being our final guest of 2023. I love chatting with him and getting to know more about him, DPG Media and the landscape in Belgium and the Netherlands, and also hearing his thoughts and incredible insights into the trends emerging as we head into 2024. All that leads for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.